The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. How many of you today need a breakthrough somewhere, somehow in your life, whether it's in your just personally, in your relationship with God, maybe it's a habit or a problem you've been wrestling with, maybe it's something with your kids or that person you're sitting next to today. Maybe it's financially, maybe it's some health and fitness kinds of things. How many of you need a breakthrough? Yeah, we're going to talk about that today because we're going to see here the story we just read is about the nation of Israel who had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years and God raised up a man named Moses to set them free and they came up against the Red Sea, a million plus people traveling to the wilderness and the Egyptians came out to say, we're going to go get you and take you back. And they didn't know what was going to happen. And Moses got the staff out like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings and he raised it up and the Red Sea, which is a sea, which is like you could maybe see across it on a clear day, it went and it parted all at once and it says, then they walked through on dry ground. That was beautiful and amazing. And then they got to the edge of the promised land where they were supposed to go, and they went, we're not sure God can do this. God goes, all right, you're not sure I'm going to do it. All you fools are going to die out here in the wilderness, and the next generation is going to get this. And so for 40 years, for 40 years, they've been wandering around here, there, and everywhere, wondering if they would ever get to the other side, to break on through and get the promise, get everything that they, that they wanted, and it wasn't going to happen. And now we find them here on the edge, now on the eastern border of what is today the, the nation of Israel. They're on the eastern border here, uh, and you need to know some things geography-wise. If you have Bibles that have maps, and you'll see this, uh, but in Israel today, still today as it was back then, there is the Sea of Galilee up in the north. That's the Galilee region, the North County region. Then there's the Jordan River that flows down in between. And then down at the bottom, in the south, or the south, or the southern part, is the Dead Sea. They're here on the eastern border. And they could, not a big deal, because there's no army coming after them. This is not some big huge risk, but they could go up and around the north or down and around through the south, over the Sea of Galilee and down, or under the Dead Sea and come back up. It's about a 200-mile trip, which is a journey, and especially you don't have cars and all that kind of stuff, but 200 miles, you could get that done. That's not some crazy, crazy amount of time. And you get, God, I'm going to give you a shortcut today. Instead of going 200 miles, what if I could take you 30 yards across to the other side? Because some of you are... <laughs> Some of us today are sick and tired of the freaking wilderness. I'm just wandering around here and there and everyone. Are we ever going to get there financially, maritally? Are we ever going to get there to where we want to be? And God says, yeah, you're going to get there. And I'm not even going to make you do the long route around. You've been wandering around far too long. Let's break on through to the other side. Let's get some of the backstory about what Grant just read for us. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. 
This is kind of like the, the briefing, the intelligence briefing of like the battle plan for how we're going to break on through. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you've never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. He says, you're going to, instead of the army leading you across the river, instead of the engineers putting a pontoon bridge kind of thing together, the pastors and priests are going to lead you across, which is like you're looking at going, okay, Joshua, seriously? That doesn't make any sense. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, and if you're newer to church and newer to faith, you're going, what's the Ark of the Covenant? If you saw Indiana Jones, the, the first version of it, they have this story of the, they went and found the Ark, and it's very similar to what you see pictured in that movie. It's probably how it looked back then. The Ark of the Covenant was in the, the central place of their tabernacle when their tabernacle was set up, or when the temple was finally built, the Ark of the Covenant was there, and... We know that God is omnipresent, which means he's present everywhere. You can't contain him into one single place in time. So there's the, there's the obvious omnipresence of God. But once in a while, there's what we call the manifest presence of God, where God shows up specifically, goes, bam, there he is right there. And it says, when the glory of God came, it says he comes into the temple and he hovered over the Ark of the Covenant on top where the, the angelic beings were inscribed there, all gold-plated. That's where his manifest presence was. And so you would keep that ark in a very holy, sacred place. And what I love about this is God's telling you and I today, you can't just put me in safe, nice, religious places. I'll even get in a muddy river with you. Because for those of you who've never had a chance, the privilege to go to Israel, which is maybe everybody here, I don't know. I've been a couple of times... Uh, we see pictures of rivers, like the Mississippi River in our country and big Colorado River and all that. The Jordan River is basically a muddy creek in a lot of places. It's not all that impressive to look at. Now, we find out here that it's harvest season. It's been a lot of rain and stuff, so it's overflowed its banks. But at its widest place, it's maybe 30 yards across. I could probably throw a rock across it, maybe. A lot of you that are in much better shape than I am, you could throw a ball across at 30 yards is not that far to cross. And yet he tells them, look, my presence is going to be with you, not just in the temple, but even in the muddy, gross, nasty places of your life. But he also says, hey, just because I'm with you doesn't mean there shouldn't be reverence and respect. He says, you don't get too close to that. Stay a half mile behind. And the reason he's a half mile behind is picture the scene. They're camping out here on the banks of the Jordan River. This is not like a camp out thing, a group campsite where you go to some river or some beach and get a group campsite. This is probably 1.1 to 1.4 million people camped out there. So when the ark moves out, he says, stay a half mile behind. It's because they're going to have to just to see it all. You're going to stay a half mile behind just to see it. And there it is, and it's, it's going to move out. And then it says in verse 5, get your pencil, pen, pens or pencils out to mark this up. Then Joshua told the people, mark this up in your Bible, purify yourselves. Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Anybody want to sign up today for the Lord doing great wonders among you tomorrow? 
today. Great wonders in my life. Right now, I sign up for that today. You know what God's going to tell you? What if it's not just up to me what I do here? What if it's up to you? What if there's some things when it comes to holiness and consecration and purity that maybe... I'm going to be, be, be gracious with you on, here on the first weekend of the year. That maybe the reason God's not moving powerfully in your life isn't because God isn't powerful. Maybe God's going, you've got to purify yourselves. Because if I show up powerfully to do something miraculous and you're not ready for it, it'll wipe you out. You won't be ready for it. You're going to look at some verses this week on the inside of your program. There's something called Intersect. It's our follow-up questions, a digging deeper, little quick little Bible study to go through where it talks about the idea of purity and holiness and consecration, which all sounds like words that our grandparents used when they went to church. I'm going to tell you right now, those old school things, they get it. Purity and holiness and consecration are a big deal to God. We treat God so flippantly, so casually in our culture. And God goes, some of the reason why you're not experiencing a breakthrough in your life today is because you're dinking around, man. There is stuff in your life, unconfessed sin, secret sin, and foolishness that you're not dealing with, go deal with that. Because God's about to show up here. So consecrate yourselves, purify yourselves, get prepared. You may want to write this down. Purity prepares us for the powerful. Purity prepares us for the powerful. Now, it's not always a condition for the powerful. Sometimes God just shows up whether we're ready or not. It's like, ready or not, here I come. It's like, oh, oh, what's going to happen here? Purity will prepare you to experience the powerful breakthroughs that God wants to do. Verse 6, he says, In the morning, Josh said to the priests, Lift up the Ark of the Covenant, lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. This is the command of, Let's go! Move out! In verse 7, it tells us, The Lord told Joshua, Today, I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Now, for those of you that grew up going to church, you've known about Moses. Some of you have seen the cartoons and the, the movies. Moses was this amazing leader that God raised up. He stared down Pharaoh, the God king of Egypt, and ten times raised his staff and decimated the leading deities of Egypt. All the false gods, one by one, raised his staff. And then when they were up against the Red Sea, and what's going to happen? Moses stood up there, and on the edge of the Red Sea, it went like this, and the Red Sea went like this, and they went through on dry ground. Moses has died. Joshua is his right-hand man. But, but some of you know this is really, really true. Do you ever want to follow Moses and be the next guy? To lead after Moses? I want to be the guy after that guy. I don't want to be the next guy. That's like a little... So God goes, look, this miracle today is not just a shortcut and a breakthrough to get to the other side for the people of Israel. It's also to validate and certify that Joshua, you're my man now. And for them to follow you, I have to validate some things here and certify you as the next leader. So you're going to give this command to put the priests in the river... And watch what I do. Give this command, verse 8, to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. Verse 9. This is the water crossings. They've already done 
Well, here's the deal. Most of the people that are here right now, probably, well, maybe all of them, didn't see the Red Sea crossing. All those people are dead now. They've died out in the wilderness over the 40-year period. There may have been some of the very, very little children that are still alive that, that maybe saw that or everybody's heard about it. Very few people have seen it. So this is the next water crossing, water crossing 2.0. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. Not is at a distance watching over you, is right here among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off. Where? Not right there, like it was at the Red, at the Red Sea. Upstream. And the river will stand up like a wall. So the priests left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. Again, it's probably 10 feet deep at its deepest place, and maybe 30 yards wide. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point, mark this in your Bible, began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathon. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. And then it tells there was the break on through the other side. They all got through on dry ground. Last time, all the stories, they said, here's how God works to help you break on through to the other side. You get a really holy religious leader kind of guy with the magic staff, with the Gandalf staff, with the Moses staff, and you raise that thing up and the water parts. And God goes, not this time. Uh, Write this down today. God hardly ever does it the same way twice. Hardly ever does he do the same thing the same way twice. What we think he should do is, well, last time, Joshua, Moses had the staff. Where's Moses' staff? Let's look at the magic Moses staff and let's go hold that up like there's some power in that relic, that symbol of Moses' leadership. And in Joshua's even get a staff and raise it up to do it. God says, this time we're going to do things a little different. I think God does this for a couple reasons. One is that if we're not careful, we start to think we can program God. Go If we just go A plus B plus D plus C equals results. Get the magic staff, stand at the edge, and every time God just acts on goes, I never do it the same way twice. This will be important for a few of you here because a few of you here have experienced, maybe many of you have experienced God doing something amazing in your marriage, in your finances, in your personal life. And it was so powerful and so amazing for you when somebody else is going through something similar. You know what you do? Tell them, here's what you should do. A plus B plus C. And God's going, would you shut up? That may not be how I do it for them this time. So don't tell me it's not some formula thing you can do. And don't impose your experience on somebody else, because here's what's going to happen. They will do it exactly how you did it, and it won't work for them. They're going to go, well, your God's dumb and stupid. Maybe God's going to do something different this time. Because at this point, it's how he tells him, not raise up the staff, water parts, and you go through. He says, what the priests are going to do? Carrying the Ark of the Covenant, 
step into the water. And they probably get into the water maybe up to their knees, two or three feet deep. He says, just stand there in the water. And it says when they did that, the water began backing up at a town called Adam, near this other long name I can't pronounce, near, near a town like that. Um, 30 miles upstream. Now, just work with me on this. When they put their feet in the water, did anything happen that anybody could see? Right? Because it takes a while. 30 miles away, the water stops. 30 miles away, the water stops flowing. For a, for a while there, you're going to go, well, what are we doing here? This just feels silly and stupid and lame. And like, what, what, what is this? People on the shore, the priests are going, Joshua, what? This is weird. Josh has got to be going, oh man, if this doesn't work, I'm like a fool here today. Because I was the one that told him, you do this and God's going to act powerfully. Write this down today on, your, on that note sheet. Sometimes the miraculous is not obvious or instantaneous. Sometimes it takes a while. Which means if you want breakthrough in your life, sometimes God's going to call you to take a simple step of faith. Not a scary step sometimes. This is not go on a cliff 50 feet up and go dive off and see what happens. This is not the story of Peter when he's in the boat during the storm and he sees Jesus out there in the storm and Jesus tells him, Peter, come out and walk on the water. This is not that kind of thing. This is just go stand in the water up to your knees and just see what happens. The miraculous is not always obvious. Sometimes appearances are so deceptive. I was thinking about that this week uh, when I was watching the Monday night game when that football player, Dar- uh, Damar Hamlin, was injured. I don't know how many saw that. It was disturbing to watch because these athletes have seen people get hurt and injured all the time. And to watch grown men just going, what everybody thought watching was that guy just died on that football field. And then what was worse as you're watching this go on, you're going, what is wrong with our medical establishment, with the people at the Buffalo Bills or Cincinnati, whatever the stadium was, what's wrong with these people? Why aren't they getting him in the ambulance and getting to the hospital? Something's wrong here. He's laying there dead in the field. They're doing nothing about this. And then you find out the next day, talking to people who are medical staff and first responders to tell you, oh, no, no, look, here's the deal. If, they, if that ambulance had driven off the field immediately, you would know that he's dead in that ambulance. Because we were able to resuscitate him and get a pulse and some breathing and go again, then we work and keep working that to get him as stable as possible. So despite all appearances to the contrary, it was a great thing that it took that long for that ambulance to leave the field. Now, we don't know that in the middle, which will be how your life is sometimes. In the middle of a miracle, where it doesn't feel like anything's happening, where it's not going like that, just stay in the water. Because sometimes appearances can be very, very, very deceiving. Quick little side note, too. Uh, Write this down, then I'll explain. What if a miracle in your life means a mess in mine? Think about this. The town of Adam, 30 miles upstream. All of a sudden, the water starts backing up up there. What do we know about water? Will it just keep backing up and backing up without a dam around it? No, God miraculously could have done something where he, but probably what happened is he just starts backing it up. You know what it does? Starts spreading out. And that much water to stop for that long to make it dry, 
means that probably that town, that region, that area had a muddy, crazy mess. And sometimes, guys, you need to know this. Sometimes the reason that your life might be a mess today is God's going to use you powerfully so that a miracle can happen not in your life but in somebody else's. Sometimes you have gone through some terrible, awful, nasty things or you're in the middle of it right now and sometimes maybe here's the miracle. Maybe the miracle is this, is God's going to say, I need a watching world to see people whose lives are a mess and muddy and nasty and gross and all that and they're still following me. There's not some big mass. They're just, life's terrible for them right now and they're, they're staying faithful to me. Sometimes that's, that's the, 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 the good news of the gospel. The good news is God says, I'm going to create a mess in your life to do a miracle in somebody else's life because anybody can follow a God that just goes A plus B plus C and everything goes great. What happens when it doesn't happen like that? What happens when it's difficult and challenging? Sometimes a miracle in, in your life might mean a mess in mine. And so they're standing there in that water, and it's not scary. This is not some big, risky, challenging, awful, terrifying step of faith. The priests are standing there in the water going, carrying the Ark of the Covenant on the poles, the four or five, six of them carrying it. People on the shoreline, a million plus, are watching all this go down. This is what's happening here. For a while, nobody would have seen anything going on. They're wondering if you're the priests, if you're Joshua, you're going, okay, did I really hear from God or was that the pizza I had last night? Is, is, this, is, this, really, is this really gonna work? Hmm. Here's the thought I had just now. In your life over and over again, God's going to challenge you to take that step of faith and just get out to your knees and trust him. And you're going to wonder, is this really going to work? And you're going to be tempted to think because it doesn't work like that. In our day of instantaneous drop ship or Amazon, you could order something right now. It'll be at your house by the time you can open church today, probably. We want things just like that. God says, just, hey, get in the water and stay in the water. Because too often we jump out too soon. Because if you jump out too soon, then, well... They're not going to trust me. Stay in the water. See, here's some truth about the breakthrough moments in our lives. That the breakthrough moments often feel, number one, silly or stupid. What God calls you to do isn't just always scary. Sometimes it just feels feels silly or stupid. Like, come on. This is dumb. I'm going to give you an example, several examples of, of those kinds of things here in just a minute or two. And the other, the reason this is tricky is that that's what's scary about it because we live in a world because we're all still recovering from seventh grade and we want everybody to like us and think that we're cool and we're not weird or whatever. Look, guys, Dave Ramsey ripped it off from Jesus and he's a Christian so he can do all that he wants. But he has a little phrase, those of you that live in Dave Ramsey and the Financial Peace University and all that, his little phrase is, if you want to live like no one else, you have to live like no one else. And it's a great little phrase, right? Until God calls me to do it. Until God calls me to say, hey, live like no one else, and I'm going to bless your life like crazy. But at the beginning, it just feels stupid and weird. It just, mm, I don't know if I want to live like no one else, because nobody else is living like this. This just feels, this feels dumb and weird. The other thing, too, that you know, is sometimes 
the breakthroughs are not just silly or stupid. Sometimes they're just simple and small. Sometimes it just feels like, this just feels like pointless. Like, what am I doing this for? Like, this isn't going to make any difference in my life, make any difference in my marriage, with my kids. Like, what's, this is dumb and simple and small. Some simple examples of that uh, might be today. Uh, Living here in this Temecula Murrieta Valley here, uh, we have great churches, and it's a very, people call it, oftentimes call it the little mini Bible belt of Southern California, which is a great thing. That's a, a great thing for our community, but I am concerned from time to time. I meet all kinds of people, conversations with all kinds of people who you are Christian-ish. You're a fan of Jesus, and you come to church, and you can join a small group and serve and all that. Has there ever come a point in your life where you said, all right, I'm in. It's called the step of faith that we take to say yes to Jesus, to become a Christian, not just kind of kind of hang around Jesus, but to commit my life to him. If that's you today, and you're thinking maybe it's time for you to, to come to terms with your sin, your need to serve your Savior, and it might feel kind of silly and stupid, like, okay, it's going to feel weird for me to tell people, like, I became a Christian today. Everybody thinks I'm a Christian already. Go get in the water. Not some crazy step. And so there's some of you here today that need to take a moment right here, right now with God today to close the deal with Jesus. So I'm going to pray right now on behalf of you. Let this be an expression of your heart. You can keep your eyes open right now if you want. You can bow your head and close your eyes all of it across the room here. And if this is what's going on in your heart today, and it's time for you to close the deal, let this, let this prayer be an expression of faith. Jesus, today, I recognize that you love me, but because of my sin and my foolishness, I'm not your child yet. And God, I just want to come home to you and I don't know how to do that other than just to believe what you said, that you died in my place for my sin and rose again. And I believe that what you did 2,000 years ago counts for me today. So today, I am saying yes, I am surrendering to you. Amen. Now, if that's you today, right now you may feel something in your heart. You may go, oh my gosh, something just happened here. And for some of you, it's going to be like I just stepped into the river and it felt like nothing happened. <whistles> Shouldn't I get all, baby? But recognize you've just gone from death to life, from being outside of God's family to being adopted into his family. On the connection card that Grant had you fill out just a couple of minutes ago, let me know about that. I prayed that prayer with you, Steve. And again, don't worry about, did I say the prayer right? God sees the the, the words of your heart more than the words of your mouth or your brain or whatever. If you if placed your faith in Christ today for the first time, jot me a note about that. I want to talk to you about what those next steps might be. And some of those next steps are, um, in terms of feeling silly and stupid sometimes, simple and small, is getting baptized. Get, getting baptized, is, which is get in some water and you get immersed in water as a symbol of death under the water and coming back to, out of the water as new life. And again, as I have talked with people over the years, both people who are brand new to faith, which is some of you right here right now today, and then some of you who have been Christians for a long time maybe or several years, 
to have baptism just seems weird. And I get it. It's weird to go put some shorts or a swimsuit on. Everybody else is fully clothed in a room and stand up there in front of people and get dunked in water. Now, if you see that happen a bunch, you feel that's not that weird. Like, come on, dude, that's weird. That feels silly and stupid to get up there in water and do that. And I, I go, people go, well, how come we're supposed to do that? And my response is always this. When you create a universe out of nothing, and then you become part of that universe, a creator, in, a creation, uh, a being in that universe, and you live a perfect life, and you die and rise again to save the creation from itself, then you get to make up the rules. But until then, shut up and get in the water. <laughs> you don't get to decide. Jesus said to follow me. A being a Christian means somebody, I follow Christ. Uh, and I think the part of the, the, this reason, too, is some people go, well, I got baptized when I was a baby. And that was a great thing. It was like a parent dedication for you. It's a beautiful thing. We're not disparaging that at all. But don't miss this. Faith and going public with your faith in baptism is, is a decision that's not made for you. It's a decision made by you that you made for yourself. If all your experience with Christ is that somebody else decided for me, then that hasn't happened in your heart yet. And some of you are waiting for a breakthrough in your relationship with God to feel that vibrancy, that excitement. Part of this is God goes, hey, that first next step is get baptized. So if you haven't been baptized yet, we're ready for you. On February 4th and 5th, first weekend in February, we're going to do a big baptism weekend here. We'd love to see a bunch of you guys get baptized that weekend. You can uh, jot a note on your connection card about that. And then there's probably, I don't know, one, two, or ten of you today that are going, you know, as you say this, what if it should just be today? But I didn't bring any clothes to change into any of that stuff today. <laughs> We're ready for you, man. We got all kinds of shorts and all kinds of t-shirts, all kinds of stuff, shapes and sizes and all that, uh, to be ready for you if that's you today. So at the end of our service today, I'm going to remind you at the end when I pray and wrap up the message, Katie's right back there in the back. She's waving her hand right now. Turn around and look at her so you know who she is. You can get up during that time. The lights will be down. If you want to get baptized today, rather than wait till February 4th and 5th, we can baptize you today to take that step of faith. And you go, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. You're never going to be ready. And people go, well, I just feel silly and stupid. I think one of the reasons you get baptized is Jesus goes, look, that feels silly and stupid. There's more silly, stupid stuff coming for you, pal. Following Jesus, man, it's great and beautiful and amazing, but man, you're going to feel silly and stupid sometimes, way worse than getting in a pool, in a pool and getting baptized. This is kind of like the initiation thing to jump in and do that. Uh, and so jot a note about that. See Katie at, uh, at during the, as the, when the band comes up here in a few minutes and get back there and we'll baptize you uh, today. And for sure on February 4th and 5th, if you just need some more time to talk about that, maybe ask some questions. Coming to church can be a weird, silly thing. I, there's a lot of you that are newer here with us today. I met so many of you out there. Uh, and for those of you who've grown up going to church, church doesn't seem weird to you. But for people who don't go to church, just imagine this now. Y you walk in there, and we're singing to someone who isn't there and talking to someone who isn't there. That's a little weird. And then we're taking a a book that's at, <laughs> the youngest it is, is 2,000 years old. And we're going to read some stuff from 2,000 years ago about 2022. Come on. I get it. So part of this is that sometimes this does feel weird. And that, that step of faith that you made today to come out to church and just go put your feet in the water is just 
stay, get in the water, stay in the water. And guys, let me talk to you, those who've been here a long time. Look right at me for a second. We want to make it as, as little weird as possible, which means we tell you all the time, park far away. Don't park right out here unless you have, you know, you're newer here or there's significant issues with young, young kids or, you know, with medical issues, things like that. Park far away and then sit close. Get up close here because, again, guys, we have about 80 people gone this weekend up at camp. We want to make sure that when people that are newer here come to church, we don't force them to walk down to the front to sit where nobody really wants to sit. They want to sit in the back and be a little more invisible when they first come because it's a little weird to come into a place where you don't know anything going on and what's going to happen here. Joining a small group. Grant talked to you about that. And again, the joining a small group, it, again, for those of you who've been in our groups, you know, you've done it a bunch of times, but I know I've talked to all kinds of people here at Crosspoint. It's like, okay, oh, I come to church and all that, but to go, go to somebody's house? What kind of weird, freaky-leaky kind of things are you guys going to be doing there? Are you going to, like, what's... And guys, again, we, we eat together, you share food together, we talk together, we look at the Bible again for a, a few minutes, talk together about that, and we share some things that are going on as we pray for each other. But I get it. It feels weird. But I'm telling you today, get up to your knees. We're not talking to dive in. Just join a group. Jump in. There, We have a table outside in the plaza today. Get out there to one of those tables and get signed up for one of our groups. Some of us are waiting for God to break through. In our, anybody want a financial breakthrough in 2023? Unless you're independently wealthy, which is none of you. Um, <laughs> or if you're independently wealthy, you're not giving that the way you should. That's a different discussion <laughs> because we would see that here. One of the things that God tells us over and over again is trust me with your money. And he said, what I'm telling you to do is make generosity with God, giving to God and the things that matter to God. Make that be your first decision, not your fourth, fifth, twelfth decision. Don't give out of the leftovers. Give off the top kind of a thing. And here's what happens. People all the time will say this to me. I've, over the years now, I've said this. Well, Steve, we just can't afford to give. And so if, you know, if, if God would just clear the water out, then I would walk through. And God goes, no, how about you just go and start to trust me? He says, just, and he goes, guys, I have been a pastor now for 30 years. No, hundreds, perhaps thousands of people who took that step at some point in their journey. Not one of them has ever said, oh, God screwed me over on that one. Not once. No one said, oh, God, this kind of, I mean, I talk to people go, this is almost like bizarre, surreal, the crazy thing as we began to trust God with our money and give off the top, not the leftovers, to watch what started to happen in our lives financially. Watch what started to happen with jobs and careers and them. And even to forget about, look, and this is not the lottery or like a slot machine. You put enough money in for God that eventually he's got to pay it back to you. That's not what that is. But you'll watch God go, we're going to look at this in the book of Malachi. Some of you are looking up here going, what's this whole construction thing going on here? It's our next series coming. We're going through Nehemiah and Malachi, the rebuilding of this big massive wall of Jerusalem, big construction site. That comes next week. Be here for that. But in there, Nehemiah and Malachi challenge God's people to go, hey, you say you trust me? Talk is cheap, pal. Start trusting me with that, with that thing that's in your back pocket or in your purse. That's where you know if you're really trusting God. 
And just watch what happens when you just forget about going jumping all the way into the deep end. See, God doesn't want the biggest bite of your money. He says, just give me the first one. And God doesn't even need it. Trust me. He says, you need to do that because it'll keep you free from being enslaved to your money and just letting your money just keep chasing you. Because people say this all the time too. If I get enough money, then I'll give. And I look at you and go, you're a little liar. Because if you got more money, you would just let your lifestyle grow. And lifestyle would chase your income. At some point, you'd go off the top. We're just going to figure out a way to, to do that. There's other ways that when it comes to, to stuff serving here. Sometimes I think you think, okay, the serving stuff with the band and the big stuff up front. Sometimes small, simple things make a massive difference. I was talking to somebody here who brought somebody of their family to our Christmas services. And the band, wasn't the band amazing that day for those of you who were here? Just beautiful and amazing what they did. Wasn't my message amazing that day? It was not that funny. You know what they noticed? They said it was the people there at the kids men little kiosk things with the computers there that took my name and got my little kids checked in here. They were blown away by that. You have no idea. Your small, simple little things of just jumping it up to your ankles even to serve, the difference that can make. Let me talk to dudes for a second here. Uh, and this may be a few women too. I don't want to be a chauvinistic or feminist in any of this. But there are some of you that need to pay attention to some things in your life. And over and over again over the years when I've challenged people who are struggling with something, especially the men, hey, you know, get counseling, the dudes go, no way, all they want to do is make me cry. All these feelings and emotions, just over there. Some of you dudes need to get in the water. And you need to get in the water and stay in that water for a bit because there's some unpacking of some stuff that God wants to do with a good counselor It'll make a profound difference in your life, in your marriage, with your kids, your personal life. Getting into counseling, prayer. Sometimes over and over again, we want prayer for stuff. We sit here at church and we want, there's something going on in our lives. We, we pray and pray privately and God puts something on your heart that's just going on in there. And you keep it all private. I want to challenge you to get up out of your seat. Our prayer team is here every weekend at the back of the house. And go disclose, not the graphic, gory details, just, hey, there's stuff going on in my life, health, finances, money, marriage. Can you just pray for me? Pray for us right now? Take that step of, of, of getting in the water up to your knees and get prayer. Here's the other thing, too, for those of you that, um, this is fascinating. Um, over and over again, people come to us with, with problems and stuff going on, and you know what we'll say? Oftentimes, if you're a Christian and they know you're a Christian, they'll say, hey, I'll pray for you, buddy. And how about the challenging thing you could do right now is, how about I pray for you right now? In the parking lot, at the restaurant, in the office, in the cubicle. No, you don't want to embarrass him or anything. So I watched the guy, I think it was Dan Orlovsky on, e, on ESPN this week when uh, DeMar Hamlin went down. Some of you saw this. It was awesome. I have, I have no idea what his faith is or any of that stuff. He says, we keep talking about we should pray, we should pray. I'm going to pray right now. If a broadcaster being watched by 25.5 million people can stop and take a minute or two to pray on the air and probably get mocked and shamed for it because it feels silly and stupid, all that kind of thing. He just did it. What if that could be our orientation towards not just saying, let's talk about prayer, let's actually pray. Sometimes, too, God's just going to put something on your heart, something simple. God's going to lead you into some next step of serving him or obedience in, in your life, some issue. Sometimes it might be, hey, you might need help with with forgiveness. You might have some relationship stuff going on where there's some 
How can we say this delicately today? Some moron out there. They might even be a person in your family. And they were a jerk to you. They're terrible to you. What if God's asking you to go first and say, hey, can we go talk about this? And who knows where that goes, but you just make the decision to say, let's go see if we can resolve this. I don't know what those things might be. God's going to put someone or something on your heart to break on through to the other side. And we're waiting for God to do something. What if God's going, I'm waiting for you, pal. Go get up to your knees in the river. Go get in the water and just watch what happens to see what, what happens with that as the band comes up right now. And we want to break on through to the other side. There it is. Oh, turn it up a little bit. You'll never hear that song again the same way. I'm praying for you that this year, shoot, not this year, what if it could be this month? What if I'm saying sometime this year? What if, hey, why wait around for sometime this year? Because you know if you say sometime this year, you'll say I'll wait till June. What if you said, how about this week? How about right here, right now, today? Let's go. Let's break on through to the other side. Sometimes that means to pray yourself. There's some stuff in my own heart, purity and holiness and consecration-wise, where I've got to deal with some sin and foolishness in my own life to get ready for God to move powerfully. And then, right, last thing to write down today before we uh, wrap this time up is get in the water, stay in the water, no matter how stupid or silly it feels. Get in the water, stay in the water, no matter how crazy, ridiculous it might feel. You might, honestly... God may not ask, be asking you to do anything scary today. Just something simple and small that's going to make you feel a little uncomfortable. How about it? Our prayer team's at the back of the house. Somebody you need to get up today and receive prayer for things that are going on in your life. Go back there and do that. We also have communion in the four corners of the room. It's a piece of bread and juice that symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for us. I want to talk about something that was silly and ridiculous was here's this 33-year-old carpenter from Nazareth who claimed to be God, <laughs> allegedly did some miracles, and there he is hanging on a cross. Silly and ridiculous, saving the world. So we celebrate Jesus here every week by inviting you to come to those tables of communion to remember Jesus. Talk to you about baptism. Talk to you about the idea, is today the day for you to step over that line and go, it's today. Forget about February 4th and 5th. I'm going today. Katie's right there in the back. Go find her. Uh, as the lights go down here, go back and chat with her about that. We'll get that all set up for you today. And then we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song called I Surrender All. And we often think I Surrender All means it's this big leap off into the water and all that. What if I Surrender All is just I surrender. God, I'm giving you my life today. I'm picking that next simple step of faith. So Jesus, today, inspire, encourage our hearts right here, right now in this place today. God, I so badly want to see everyone here experience the breakthrough to the other side. We've been wandering around, floundering for far too long. God, we want to break through to the other side, would you just do that right here, right now, today? Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. 
For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.